0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad to have Dr. Heather Holloman on the show today. It's going to be a great hour. Conversation is getting harder, not necessarily on this show, but um, we are feeling way more isolated. Loneliness has become almost a bit of an epidemic. So, Heather has written a book called The Six Conversations Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. She's the associate professor at Penn State. She's a speaker and an author and always look forward to having her on. Heather, welcome.
1: I'm so glad to be on your program. I always look forward to this. Thank
0: you. So if I was a detective, I would have the who, what, where, why, and when. So I know who I'm talking to, Dr. Heather Holloman. I know yes. what I'm talking about. And that's your new, your new book, The Six Conversations, which brings me to the why question. Why did you write this book?
1: Well, I wrote the book for several reasons. The first was that just seeing the epidemic of loneliness on college campuses. And I was really concerned about just from a social science perspective, the research I was reading about what chronic loneliness is doing to our bodies and the mental health issues I was seeing. But I also wrote the book because I was reading the Harvard Grant study the longest research study in the world. (laughs) And it was trying to answer the question, what's the single most determining factor of a happy life? And it's warm relationships. And my students would say, you know, how do we get this? And finally, I care deeply about evangelism and talking about Jesus with others. And when I wrote the book Sent on sharing our faith, a lot of people said, could you please go back and start Earlier we don't even know how to have conversations at all much less talk about the things that really matter So that motivated my research and I got so excited to be able to figure out how do we do this? How do we have warm and loving conversations? Mm-hmm.
0: You know Heather I did not read the Harvard grand study. So you've yes. got You've got one up on me when it comes to that but warm relationships is what everybody wants um, That's right. They, they want to feel a sense of connectedness a sense that they matter, a sense that somebody notices them regularly. And, you know, when people look back on their lives, what they talk about is their connectedness, their love for other people and the warm relationship. So I'm glad you wrote this. Was this a COVID project?
1: It was. It started, actually, it's, a, it's really the deepest passion of my heart, something I've actually been thinking about for 20 years. Okay. Um, but I did write it primarily during COVID. So I turned in the manuscript last year, but it's something I've really been thinking about. Even from the time I was a little girl, I was sort of this lonely child. I don't know about you, Bill. I was awkward. (laughs) I had a hard time connecting and I was a military daughter. So I moved every two years. So I've kind of always been worried about this problem of loneliness. And you're right. There is nothing better than a warm and loving connection with someone. So, And Heather,
0: it sounds like you've got great, empathy and compassion for other people who might find themselves in that similar situation?
1: I do because Mm -hmm. I love figuring out ways to help people feel close to one another, not only because that's what I wanted for my classroom, but I was seeing ways I could improve my marriage and my relationship with my teen daughters. And um, I just got really excited about how can we help each other do this. And then during COVID and sort of the stress over politics and social issues, I just saw people were not able to talk to each other. Families were being torn apart, churches torn apart. So I really do feel that that Pool, that calling in my heart to just, okay, we've got to help. We have to do something to help people connect because the Holy Spirit's a spirit of unity. And I think it brings God's great delight when we are together and unified. And I don't see a lot of that in the culture right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And Heather, your new book was just released in October, wasn't it?
1: Yes, yeah. just at the very beginning. So this yeah. is an early interview. I always do this with you, Bill. I, I always per- talk about <laughs> things like right at the beginning. I, I, You're really good at I catching pre- me at just the right moment.
0: I love that. So, I know. Uh, I believe your publisher has also made five copies available for me to give away yes. today. And if that's yes. not true, uh, send me the bill because either way, I want five copies for my listeners. So, uh, no,
1: it is. Moody Moody will send you terrific, the books. If, if not, I will. I will if they don't. Yeah, yeah they I'll, will. They'll I'll, send. I'll it pay to
0: you. for them. That's how much I I like you and your book. So, uh, I have six uh, five copies of Heather's book to give away. If you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Dr. Heather Holloman is my guest. Uh, Heather, you talk about um, in your book, the four mindsets of a loving conversation. I would love for you to talk about those mindsets.
1: Well, this is what I love about this book. You can give people a lot of techniques and strategies. And even I collect a list of, you know, my 100 favorite questions to ask people, but that's Mm -hmm. not the secret to a good conversation. The secret to a good conversation is, is what the social science research all teaches, but it's already been confirmed in the Bible, which I'll tell you in a second. (laughs) But the four mindsets are that every time you see someone, you want to be curious, meaning you're going to ask really good questions about them and be curious about their lives. You're going to believe the best about them, which is deeply convicting and something I'm growing in. You're going to express concern, which is called investment, meaning you're going to take on a special responsibility for someone's welfare, which we're also not good at. And you have to share your life because otherwise it's just an interview. If you're not going to share your life, you know, a lot of us are are good at asking questions, but we don't have warm connections because we're not sharing our life. So the social science research says if one of those is missing, you're not going to have a warm connection. But I don't care as much about the research as I did. You know, what does the Bible say about this? And you'll find all of those mindsets in Philippians 2, you know, Romans 12, Galatians 6, it was a beautiful theological journey for me to look at these mindsets and see where I'm deficient and how I can improve in these areas.
0: Mm-hmm. So Heather, as we think about these mindsets, I, I love all of them. When you think of being curious, that needs to be really at the forefront of your mind because any person is willing to probably talk to you if you show curiosity in them in their That's life. Right. And uh, usually people are quick to talk about themselves if you give them an opportunity.
1: That's right. But I'll ta- I'll ask my students, how many of you have been on a date or with a friend and they do not ask you one question about yourself? Yeah. They cannot stand it. They're, they're, it's like, well, what do we do, Dr. H? Like, what do I say? Nobody's asking me anything. And they really, I mean, it's a great professional skill. It's also great to develop this mindset because you'll never get lost in a conversation again. If you just always think the person in front of me, is this infinite marvel right. that it can teach me something? I can and and the book really ends with the six pathways of curious questions. So you'll never you'll never get lost starting a conversation or continuing a conversation. So this book is sort of a game changer for people who really want to improve in how they're going to engage with people in a warm and close way.
0: Mm-hmm. Heather, one thing I've been working on personally, Tell when me. it comes to believe the best is I have been doing this little exercise where I'm walking through a store or whatever environment I'm in. Every time I see someone, I just say to myself, image bearer. That's right. Image bearer. And I think to myself, if I start with that in my head, I'm going to probably be more inclined to believe the best, or at least to think this is a person created in the image of God versus something else I might think, which is uh, something I used to do in the past. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes. I hate and to admit to. No, it's it's my area of growth, too. And, you know, I talk to people about what what's happening in our mind as we approach someone. And instead of believing the best, we have attitudes of suspicion, judgment, yeah. moral superiority. So we do feel like we're morally in the right to be condemning people. And so I really struggled with this bill. And I don't know if you if you did, because, because it feels good to be like, I'm right. You're morally wrong. But when Jesus talks about loving your enemies and blessing them, and when I when I read Romans 12, I really felt bad about myself, Bill, because Paul says outdo one another in showing honor. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm I'm really not doing that. I'm not believing the best about people. I'm, you know, in my students joke, they say, yeah, you when you meet someone, here's what's going through your mind. Who did you vote for? What did you believe about vaccines? (laughs) What did you believe about Roe v. Wade? And so instead, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm telling them, look, just ask someone the story of why they care so much about that position. Ask them when they first became passionate about that issue, become a learner. And you're going to learn so much. You're going to grow. You're going to build warm connections with people that you thought were your enemy. And guess what? That's how social change happens. Mm -hmm. How are we going to change people's minds if we're mocking them and shaming them. It's hmm. not productive. So that's something I'm passionate about is just open, you know, dialogue with people who believe differently from you. So I my trick is to believe there's a story there. And if ever, if I'm getting angry about someone's position, I'll say, okay, go back. What happened to them as a child? You know, what made them believe this? And there's always a story. And then it kind of moves me from anger to curiosity again.
0: Mm-hmm. What if you get good at asking those curious questions, though, and it's not being reciprocated?
1: Could that, oh, be, gosh, could Phil, that end up Phil, being balanced? Bill, that is the number one feedback I'm getting in workshops. People will say this. Well, great. We have all the skills. But our conversation partner is not going to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. So here's what I've been doing, and I think you'll like this because I don't know. Do you have people in your life that you want them to ask you questions, but they're just not doing it? Is that Comple- why you ask com- that? <laughs> completely, yes. <laughs> Hypothetically, okay. Yeah, I know here's, this guy. Here's anyway. what I recommend because you're going to read this book, and you're going to feel so equipped and excited, and you're going to have all the skills. So what I do with my conversation partner is after I've asked questions in the six dimensions of being human and I know what they want to talk about and we're having a great conversation, I'll pause and I'll say, I have loved asking you these questions and I'm so excited about the question you're now going to ask me. (laughs) So I literally am training them in the art of conversation. And I'll say if they don't have a question for me or if, you know, they'll say, oh, I don't know, I can't think of anything to ask you. I'll say, well, you know, sometimes I'll just straight out train people. I'll say, look, I'm researching how to have a better conversation and I'll tell them things I'm learning. But the other thing that's a gift to people is if I'm in a conversation and nobody's asking me a question, I'll say, I am really loving spending time with you. And I've loved asking you these questions. I really am hoping that you'll ask me a question. And in fact, here's the question I'm really hoping you'll ask me and I'll just tell them I know, I'd be so easy on a first date, wouldn't I? <laughs> I'd be so easy. So my yeah. husband just laughs that I make it really easy for him because he's an introvert and these things don't come naturally yeah. to him. And he's sort of proof of concept. He's someone that needed to read this book. So if you're someone who's not good at asking questions and you would be that conversation partner, this book's gonna really give you strategies, not just the mindsets, but you're gonna know, okay, I can, I can engage here and guess what? You're gonna do better at work, on your teams, People are going to feel connected to you, and it's it's really going to be a life-changing kind of thing for you when you start becoming good at conversation.
0: All right, Heather, I've got all kinds of questions for you, so get ready. After the break, I will be back with Dr. Heather Holloman. Her new book is The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility, forwarded by Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman. She has five copies of the book that she's so nice to give out, thanks to Moody Publishing. You can Be in on that drawing and be one of the people that win one of her five books. All you have to do is text the word book to (laughs) 877-933-2484. Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Join us for our Reading the Bible Together Advent Study. Sign up at MyFaithRadio.com.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: My guest is Dr. Heather Holliman, although her students call her Dr. H, which I think is very nice. Her new book is "The Six Conversations: Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility." All right, Heather. Before the break, you had dropped this line where you said the six dimensions of being human. I didn't have time to ask you that, but I'm going to ask you now. What are the six dimensions of being human?
1: Well, this is so easy. You're going to wonder why didn't anyone teach me this before? Okay. okay when you're when you're looking at someone, you have six directions you can go based on what it means to be human. So every person you meet is social, they have friends, they have people in their lives. You can always ask, who have you been spending time with? Nice. Number two, everyone is physical. They have bodies, they have experiences of eating, using their bodies, they have physical spaces. People love it when you ask them things about what they're, how they're working on their house or their garden or how they've been sleeping at night. So think body and physical spaces, mm-hmm. number three. Every person is emotional. We tend to ask questions like, how are you or how are you feeling? Those aren't often the best questions to engage people in conversation, but people do like to talk about their emotions. You know, maybe there was a news report and you could say, hey, how'd you feel about that news? That's the emotional category. Number four, everyone is cognitive, meaning they're thinking about things. So my favorite question is part of this category. It's when someone would say to me, Heather, I haven't seen you in a while. What have you been thinking about? Okay, so we have the first four, your social, everyone's physical, emotional, and cognitive. The last two are harder, but they're volitional and spiritual. So volitional means every person you see is making decisions, human volition, your ability to choose. Every person loves it. Well, not every person, but this is a great category. You know tell me tell me why you um, decided to get season tickets or tell me about some upcoming decisions you have to make. That's the volitional category. and the spiritual is my favorite, but it's often hard to start in this um, in this direction, but it's a great conversation for continuing. It's a great category for continuing conversations. and the spiritual is just every person you meet, you know, has a soul. They are probably thinking about spiritual things, whether or not you think. People are, they don't mind talking about God and they like to talk about their religious traditions. Mm -hmm. So you've got, yeah. So it's, it's, there's no acronym, but it's really easy to remember. Just think social, physical, everyone's emotional, they're cognitive, they're volitional, and they're spiritual. So you just have endless permutations once you ask a question in any one of those categories. You can continue to ask questions in endless permutations based on however wherever they want to go in conversation.
0: All right. Let me try this out myself. I'll try it out Let's on you. Let's do it. Okay. So, Heather, uh, what are your plans this weekend? You and your husband have uh, any social plans? What are you going to do?
1: Well, I hate to admit this. I'm going to share my life right now, Bill. <laughs> I, I have become devoted to Penn State football. Okay. I'm I love watching the games and I have season tickets to basketball. Okay, okay, this is good because I just shared a common response. People talk about sports. Okay, you have six?
0: Yeah, are you a face painter? Pathways. You, you're not a face painter. <laughs> you want Don't... the
1: physical. You want the physical. You're asking me like what what does my body do? You know what? I'm a face sticker user. Okay. I like to put, put, the, put the little footballs on. on. Okay, Yeah, and I do like to dress in fan gear. All right. So I do have my Penn State um, sweatshirt, but can I be honest? I actually don't like going to the games because it bothers my back and knees. I love watching it on my really good TV. My sure. husband makes great food. I'd much rather be in my living room. I don't know. Do you feel I, that way? Do you, would you rather watch it on oh, TV than much, be at the game?
0: Much rather watch it yeah. on TV. Okay. Okay. Now, now I know you had a couple of uh, instances physically with some emergency uh, trips to the hospital. I, is, is your body feeling well right now? Or are you doing better?
1: How did you remember that? Because you told, you, even that? you
0: told me. know that? Because you told me.
1: Okay, this is, you know what you're doing right now. What? You're expressing concern. You're invested. Okay, all the research would show that just because you did that, I have a warm and connected feeling to you nice. because you asked that. So, well done, Bill. Okay,
0: now well, actually,
1: mo- yeah, it was the hardest, most intense year of my life because I had three surgery so yeah. and guess what people rarely ask about my body how was the anesthesia I actually like talking about it because it's fascinating yeah so you this is great have you ever had like an emergency surgery where you were scared in the ER anything like that
0: nope
1: ever you've never nope. had surgery no okay I gotta know the secret to your good health you've <laughs> never had it. yeah so already I'm like I want to take over the conversation <laughs> no and figure no you're out no like,
0: I'm interviewing you
1: Yeah, you interviewed me, but you did a great job there, by the way, because I love talking about the physical and people rarely ask in that category.
0: Okay, let's move on to the emotional. When was the last time you cried?
1: Oh, God. Um, that is a hard question. Wow. You just went deep. Wait, I think the last time I cried was actually this week because I felt so loved by my small group at church. Sweet. They were so kind to me and we we they were celebrating my birthday. It's yeah. my birthday week. Oh, wow. So but can I make a comment about the emotional something sure. I learned about this category? people do not like existential questions and they're related to the weak verb you know i love vivid verbs the reason why no one answers the question how are you or how was your day is it's actually stressful for the brain those are state of being verbs how are you okay so here's my best advice if you were to say heather how are you i'd say oh fine but if you said heather has anything surprised you about your day? Mm -hmm. My brain could immediately go somewhere. Or if you said, has anything challenged you about your day? So my husband no longer asks me when I come home from a trip, how was your trip? He'll say, okay, what surprised you? You know, what challenged you? What frustrated you? So get rid of the weak verbs. Now, my students really laugh at me, but I've been showing them research reports, like neuroscience findings about How stressful it is when the brain hears a weak verb. It has to activate too many regions of the brain to figure out what you mean. Yeah, so get rid of that for the emotional questions. Okay.
0: Did you uh, cry in front of your small group or did you get in your car on the way home and break into tears?
1: I cry in the car. Actually, (laughs) when was, oh, no, no, no. (gasps) Okay. Do you want me to be really honest? Yeah, I can't believe we're doing this on live radio. I cried with two of my colleagues when they were asking me about um, what it's like to do press for a book. And I started to cry because I was like, sometimes it's really overwhelming Mm -hmm. because I don't know, you're really comfortable on the radio. You do this for your job, but your authors aren't. The people you bring on, they're probably really nervous because they've not been on live radio. So I have cried about that before. Mm-hmm. But I'm doing okay now, aren't I? Yeah, Do you you're think doing I'm great. doing okay. No, you're doing okay. Great. Yeah, yeah. All right. I go. don't know what about you? Do you want Have no, no, you no. cried I, recently?
0: Oh, I cry almost daily. Do you? Are you yeah. serious yeah. or are you joking? No, I'm not. <laughs> Is I'm it not. from
1: like wonder? Is it like positive crying, uh, joyful crying, or like sad? You no, know, it's half crying. and half.
0: It's half and half. Yeah, my, my it feels like my heart breaks easily.
1: <gasps> my heart
0: breaks it easily. It breaks
1: from beauty and from pain. Yes,
0: exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh
1: my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So you're like a tender soul. You're like a ten, you're a feeler. You love to you feel deeply.
0: Uh probably yes. Yeah.
1: Well, I actually read your bio, so I if we were like at a coffee shop or, or we were out and my husband was there and we well, were all together, yeah. we would probably ask about your childhood and things like that. Yeah.
0: What would you have ordered at the coffee shop? Oh God.
1: Okay, I, w- I want to say that I'd order the new fancy Starbucks drink, but yeah. the true story is I am on a weight loss journey, so I'm trying to have less sugar. Okay,
0: all right. So maybe just a standard cup of coffee.
1: Yeah, what about you?
0: I would get a, a non fat latte.
1: How long have you enjoyed these non fat lattes? A while. Like, when did you start loving non fat lattes?
0: Well, probably the last 10 years.
1: What did you drink before the latte? Just black Were you just coffee. Like a drip?
0: Yeah, just black coffee. And then I found so out. So, who
1: makes these lattes? Like well,
0: Starbucks? Yeah, some of those fancy coffee stores make them. And I usually only enjoy a latte like in the afternoon. Like, oh, you know, it's getting close to work and I've got to show her to do. It. I think I'm going to go get a latte.
1: Well, does it affect your sleep at night to no. have that kind no. of caffeine?
0: No, I could have an espresso machine next to my bed and it's not going to keep me up.
1: I am so jealous. <laughs> I am so jealous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're really good at conversation. I could go on and on. I really, you, are you not, but you're naturally a good conversationalist. You're not consciously thinking, where should I go next? It's just natural for you. This is an intuitive thing for you. right? I've,
0: it might be. I, I like to break patterns. Uh, so when you said, if we went to a coffee shop, my brain went to, what would you order? So th- those are just breaking patterns. I mean, because a normal person wouldn't ask you that question.
1: Well, that is good. People, when you do break a pattern, and that is that is really great advice, and I actually wish I had written it in my book. A lot of what you are doing is breaking the pattern. So I, there is a part where I talk about revising cliches. So instead of commenting on the weather, I've learned to ask people like, hey, are you a snow person? Mm-hmm. Because they'll tell you something and it'll relate to the category of conversation they most like. So if I say, are you a snow person? And someone says, I love it. I love I love sledding with my grandchildren. I take note that they like talking about their grandchildren yeah, cool. and their the social category. So yeah, those are cool things you can do.
0: All right, Heather, we have to take a short break. Dr. Heather Holloman is my guest. Her brand new book is the six conversations. She has five copies to give out. If you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book. That's all to eight, seven, seven, nine, three, three, two, four, eight, four. If you have a question for Heather, text it over as well. Eight, seven, seven, nine, three, three, two, four, eight, four. 2484
1: listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: We are having a conversation about conversation today, which is awesome. Dr. Heather Holloman is my guest. Her new book is The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. So, Heather, we have to finish these six um, dimensions of being human before we move on. And we're down to the last two. So let me just go to the volitional one, the, the decision-making one. Let me ask you this. Um, was the last decision you made, was it an easy one or a hard one?
1: The last decision I made I mean, was a hard one. Okay. What about you?
0: Um, Our
1: decisions are not easy for me in general, though. Are you a good decision no. maker? <laughs> no, no,
0: no, no, Okay, good. No. <laughs> we,
1: we, yeah, but I, I, this is where, and again, I'm going to bring it to the spiritual. I really am learning to listen to God and spend a lot of time bringing God into my decision making okay. because I have a lot of roles at Penn State that are more leadership roles where I'm actually having to be decisive, and it is very stressful for me. Mm-hmm. Like making decisions about people and what they should do. It really stresses me out. Oh, I can out. imagine. I, I can imagine. Yes.
0: All right, let me get to the last one, and that's spiritual. And what was uh, the last thing that you read from the Word of God that really sort of animated you, that you got kind of really excited about?
1: Well, it was actually today uh, my mentor shared with me what she was learning from her favorite passage in Isaiah, and it talked about how the Lord would satisfy you in a sun-scorched land mm-hmm. and he would meet all of your needs. And then we talked about how in that place you'll be a well-watered garden and you'll be someone whose streams never fail. And what we talked about was your the location never changes in that verse. You're not removed from the sun-scorched land. So my mentor said, God may not remove you from the place of desolation, but he promises to do these incredible things when you're in that terrible place. And I loved those verses, but for me, I read the Psalms every day. So I love, um, I'm in Psalm 25 and I, I just love the, how God will instruct you in the way chosen for you. I love, I'm holding on to that right now. Yeah.
0: Well, Heather, thank you for indulging me and letting me ask uh, those questions. That was fun. Let's get back to your book, The Six Conversations. Um, In the book, you, uh, you talk about a theology of, of a loving conversation now does the bible really teach us about having good conversations
1: well it does and it it was it was actually really life-changing for me to understand philippians 2 because it really became discipleship material real, god really used it to mature me philippians 2 if you've not read philippians 2 go read philippians 2 it talks about valuing other people above yourselves taking on the interests of other people You know, you take on the nature of a servant with them. And as I looked at what Paul is instructing there about honoring people and and taking on their interests, that really is about being curious, figuring out what people care about, believing the best. You're honoring them. You're valuing them above yourself. You're expressing concern. That reminded me of Galatians 6, where Paul says to carry one another's burdens and then share your life. I thought of Thessalonians, where Paul says we were delighted to share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. But the attitude that you'll see in Philippians 2 is nothing I'm seeing in the culture. And I was a terrible conversationalist and completely self-absorbed and acted superior to people. God, the Holy Spirit had to really change my life. And he used Philippians 2 in a profound way to do that.
0: Yeah, I'll have to read Philippians 2 tonight. When when we have conversations, what usually goes wrong? And why aren't we good at it?
1: Well, what usually goes wrong is... um, I mean, I list 10 things that, that I've learned go wrong. But one thing that it, that if I were to pick two from my list of what goes wrong, it would be advice giving. Huh. People don't like advice. It comes off as superior and condescending. If they ask you for advice, by all means, give it. But if I'm talking to someone and I say to them, wow, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. Do you want me to give you advice or would you rather I ask some meaningful questions right now? Nobody wants advice. Nobody has ever said, I want your advice. They want you to ask them questions and continue to engage. So I've avoided people who are advice givers because I don't like those conversations. And it's really difficult if someone's just spouting out what they think you should do. The second thing related to that is sort of arrogance, um, where you're just not interested in other people because you're arrogant. You have all the answers. You're not positioning yourself as a learner. Those are things I had to change. Um, But there are, you know, there are a lot of others and, you know, anyone listening, usually we all struggle with a few of these, but, you know, gossip, complaining, flattery, you know, manipulation, codependence. That is not a fun chapter to read, but the chapter that comes after that will help redeem all of those quality, you know, all of those things you're trying to avoid because I talk about what you should do instead and the three fresh goals of conversation and that, When I researched that chapter, it was really life-changing to answer the question, okay, where should a conversation end? What should I actually be doing as I'm having these conversations?
0: Mm -hmm. I'm writing things down quickly here, Heather. Do it. I want to go back to the advice giving. I I, I would say that there's probably personal advice, but there's also functional advice. If I said to you, hey, Heather, let me give you some advice. If you're going to the Penn State game, park in parking lot B on 10th Street and you'll get a spot. You're not going to be mad at me for that, are you?
1: Well, some people are if I my husband does not like he likes to figure things out on his own. And if I were to (laughs) say that to him, he would have claimed I would have robbed him the joy of figuring that out himself. (laughs) And I've learned that about him. I would value that. I'd love that if you said give me some advice. But sometimes it can come off as I've or I've been there. I've already had that experience. Um, What I would say is like if I if you knew where to park or if I knew where to park, I would say. Um, is there anything you're nervous about going into that game? Ah. And if the person said, yeah, I've never, I've never gone before. It's a huge tailgate culture. I don't know where to park. Then I would say, you know, I had that same problem. And then if the person says, what did you do? Then I would give the answer. But if they don't say that, I would just say, you know what? You know, this relates to the three fresh goals. I, one of them is encouragement. I would say to that person, look, you have got this. It's going to be an adventure. I know you, you're going to figure this out, I would encourage them well before I would give advice. So that's just something, you know, that I learned when reading research and listening to people and the kinds of things they don't like in conversation.
0: Okay. I have this down as encouragement as one of the three fresh goals of conversation. Have you already covered two and three and I missed them?
1: No. Okay. Here are the three fresh goals. Encouragement. And each of the goals counters some of the pitfalls that you'll read in the chapter that's called, you know, the 10 pitfalls of conversation. Instead, these three, if you do these three things, you're going to be okay in conversation. So the first is encourage. And that's a really biblical concept of, you know, where Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for encouraging others according to their needs also deeply convicting. I had to think how much of my speech is actually doing that. Mm. Number two, helping people in their own personal growth goals. So you know how scripture talks about considering how to love each other and spur one another on to love and good deeds. One thing I noticed in the culture is a lot of people or a lot of my students are reading Atomic Habits, the book by James yeah. Clear. So yeah. I don't know if you have you read that book? Yes. Okay. Well, everyone in my area is reading that book right now. And so it's really easy for me to say, even on an airplane, okay, I read that book too. What are, what are you putting into place? Like, how are you, you know, habit stacking or what what are the goals for you? And when people share their personal goals with you, it is a beautiful connection to say, okay, I love that you've shared that. I would love to support you in the ways you want to be supported in that goal. It's a way of, expressing concern, but joining with someone to help them in their personal growth. If you do that, you're going to experience a warm and loving connection with them, and you'll figure out what to talk about the next time you see them. So a lot of my professional relationships involve me following up with, hey, I know you were working on that. How Mm -hmm. is it going? Yeah. Okay. The last one is confirmed by some very curious research studies I read on the emotion of awe and marveling which the Bible would call like worship or like in Colossians, when you talk about making music in your heart to the Lord Mm -hmm. and praising him. So if you are with someone and you're able to get to a state of marveling, so imagine that you're walking together and you both see a shooting star or you both see something in nature that's really cool or you have a moment where you're like, oh, my gosh, isn't God amazing? Apparently what happens in the brain is you become less depressed. And at that moment, you're more connected to one another. You feel a connection when you're experiencing awe with someone. Now, in conversation, what I'm looking for is evidence of divine activity, something related to what I can um, notice about how wonderful nature is. That's a really easy thing. But you're looking for things where you you want to say, this is incredible. Isn't this marvelous? And it's wonderful to end a conversation in that way. And you'll feel really connected with people Sometimes you can move in the direction of the spiritual where you're talking about prayer or answers to prayer, and you can end a conversation in a way that's bringing you to a spiritual moment, which is my favorite thing to do. So anytime I'm with someone and I'm talking to them, what's going through my brain is how can I encourage this person? How could I help them in whatever their personal goals are? And is there anything that we're talking about where I could lead us to a state of marveling? And it's just going to be... Almost like a revolution. That's why I call it like a conversation revival. I couldn't think of the right word and I didn't want to use revolution, but it did feel that way. So suddenly my relationship with my husband is flourishing. My daughters want to talk to me. You know, colleagues are seeking me out because I'm doing this very biblical, joyful thing when I'm talking to them.
0: So interesting. Dr. Heather Holloman is my guest. Her new book is The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting. In an age of isolation and incivility, I have five copies of her book to give away. If you want to be in on the drawing, text the word book, please, to 877 933 2484. And you don't text the word book, please. You just text the word book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I was going to say, book, please. No, 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 no. That, that, that would,
0: because we need just the word book, there's no uh, quotations. Uh, nothing, no emojis, nothing, just those four letters is, and you text that to 877-933-2484, and then that automatically triggers uh, a a link, then you can sign up to get the book and get in on the drawing. So that's how that works.
1: Mm -hmm. Well explained. Yeah, thank
0: you so much. So, um, (laughs) you know, when we talk about um, handling fear and self-consciousness when we're maybe thinking of ourselves as conversationalists that, We'd like to be better conversationalists, but we've got some fear and self-consciousness. How do we deal with that?
1: Well, I love helping people in this area because there's a, a lot of fun social science research that says this. When you ask someone a question that you think is awkward or you know that you're going to come off as weird and you've just asked this question rooted in curiosity, you're thinking this person thinks I'm stupid or awkward or, or whatever. You're so self-conscious. But the research shows that people love questions and they love it even if it feels awkward or even if it's in an in an and inappropriate question that they actually enjoy it. It's pleasurable for the brain to be asked a loving question. So I've been sharing that research with my daughters and saying, look you are thinking that you're coming off this way, but you're actually blessing this person and they're going to like you more. The research shows that they will like you more if you ask a question. And then I've also been teaching about just taking what's called a pro-social risk. So this is something that you're doing by faith. It it may feel like a risk, but you're going to take the risk because what's going to happen is going to far outweigh any perceived, you know, that people are going to, you know, that you're somehow going to, be looked at as awkward or strange or whatever. And it's fun. So my children will do that. They'll say, mom, you know, I took that risk. I asked this question and I'll say, what happened? And it's usually this wonderful thing, you know, to do it by, to just do it by faith and see what God will do. So even I feel, um, awkward and self-conscious and sometimes even afraid but I remember that fear and excitement are very similar in the brain. And so I'd retrain, I re kind of imagine that the fear is really excitement because I know this is like a sacred split space and something really cool could happen in this moment. So I'm getting better at just approaching someone doing it by faith, asking God to help. And then I just launch into, you know, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to know who have you been spending time with and just ask the question, and see what happens.
0: Mm -hmm. Heather, are there some conversation no-nos? Well, I mean, I'm thinking of a person that has good intentions, but sometimes it sounds like somebody is applying a technique on you.
1: Well, that is something people wonder. Like I've had people say, well, this is, isn't everyone going to know that this is just a strategy (laughs) you're doing? Well, guess what? My husband uses these questions on me. I feel loved. Oh, I love them. You know, when you are working through a apparatus in your mind, but it doesn't come off as um, fake or structured because it's you're genuinely curious. You're genuinely believing the best. So when I say to my daughters who love to talk about the social category when they come home from school and I say okay who did you sit with at the lunch table I want all the drama <laughs> even though it's even even though it's on my list of questions it's still a genuine question and so there aren't really no-nos in terms of like is this going to seem too um structured because if if you're curious if you believe the best if you're expressing concern and sharing your life it won't come off as disingenuous however if you're missing those mindsets It may feel like you're just being asked questions for the sake of being asked a question, which people will know. So if you excel in the mindsets, you won't need to worry about that. And you don't need to worry about um, making a mistake in conversation, because if the mindsets are operative, you can say to someone, look, that just seemed really weird to me. Can we start over? Or I'm sorry I asked that question if it made you uncomfortable. You've already got the warm connection. The mindsets are at work, so you don't need to worry and sometimes when you say to someone, I have a really inappropriate question for you, they will lean in and say, what, tell me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. nobody, yeah, you can't really mess this up. And mm-hmm. and I've been in situations that are really difficult with like a grieving person or a person in physical pain or like where you're with someone where you say, oh, I just know, I, I don't know what to ask. Listen, you're gonna do so great with this. I was with my Uber driver, this guy who would not you know I was like okay i I just it's a I'm lonely, I'm anxious it's it's nighttime. you know, I gotta get home. So I just said to him, "Is this your primary job?" And he said, "No, I am an excavator during the day." Okay, what do you think my next question was that delighted him so much and we would not stop gabbing? We were yammering at each other the whole time. We're
0: going asked- to come back with that answer after the break. Okay. That's what Perfect. we call on radio a cliffhanger. I don't think anyone's going anywhere right now because they want to find out what was he excavating. Dr. Heather Holloman is my guest. Her book is called The Six Conversations. We have five copies to give out. Get in on the drawing. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Do it right now. You'll become a better conversationalist. Be right back.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a Special Repeat Performance.
0: Welcome back to the show. My guest is Dr. Heather Holloman. Heather, do you like my
1: bumper music? I do. It's very uh, folksy.
0: Oh, thanks. I think it's is That
1: of... what you were going for? Well, Did you like Well, on a folksy? Friday
0: afternoon, Rosie said it's kind of soothing to get some jazz violin, and I I didn't disagree.
1: I like it. Yeah,
0: thank you. All right, I can't wait to hear what does this Uber driver excavate?
1: Well, I'm sitting there and I was like, I could ask, you know, do you like your coworkers social? <laughs> is it mm-hmm. hard on your body physical? You know, I went on the list. You know, how did you decide to become an excavator? And I was like, Lord, I'm lonely. You know, I'm driving home from the airport with this guy. And I just said, what is the strangest thing you've ever unearthed? Ooh, he loved it. He literally turned around and he was like, that is such a good question. Nobody has asked me that. And I was like, tell me the story. It was the most delightful conversation. He wanted to tell me that he found an ancient horseshoe, probably from the Civil War. And they cleaned it off. And everyone wanted this horseshoe because it's such a symbol of good luck. And I heard the whole story. But by the end, we were trying. I was like, when did the horseshoe become a symbol of good luck? And then I was like, when I was little, I found a horseshoe once and we're sharing our lives by the end, I was like, look, I'm giving you a five-star waiting. And he was like, good, request me every time. We have to continue this. You know, it was just <laughs> such a such a warm connection. And for someone who needs warm connection, you can get it at the supermarket in in with your Uber driver. You don't know what's going to happen. And you don't know where it's going to go next. So take that pro-social risk. Just ask people. And now I have an Uber driver that will pick me up whenever I need to go to the airport.
0: That's awesome. So, uh, Heather, in your book, you talk about uh, people have a default conversation style
1: Yes. what do you mean by that well most of us like to talk about the same thing and i've learned that i love talking about jesus and i love talking about ideas because i'm an academic my husband does not enjoy those categories when you're in a default conversational mode you're always talking about the same thing the book really challenges you to evaluate what you like talking about And it gives you some some strategies about how to learn to talk about other things, categories of questions and, you know, in other dimensions of being human and also how to learn what other people want to talk about. So my husband feels really loved when I ask about physical processes like his work processes or what he's working on in the garden or the house. He loves talking about manual labor He knows that I love talking about my mind and what I'm thinking about. So that's one way we express love to each other, which is probably why I wanted Gary Chapman to write the foreword, because it did feel like a way to show love to your spouse. So and a lot of people only know how to talk about sports and the weather. And, you know, as holidays approach, it's really good to think, okay, we've always talked about these things. I need to know how do I break out of these conversational patterns to get to someplace really meaningful where we're encouraging, helping each other grow, and marveling.
0: hmm. That's so good. That does come with a risk, though, a big risk. Even asking well, for com- advice is risky, <laughs> especially, you know, you want advice as long as it's advice you like.
1: Well, you have to be teachable and open yes. um, to those things, so... Yeah, but hey, we all need, we need friends that will help us and answer those kind of questions.
0: Yeah. So when we have a conversation with somebody and we're trying to get that warm connection, we don't know if it's going to happen or not. We do want to be curious. There's lots of things we can approach thanks to your book. Um, So what about when we hit a nerve and we go, "Ooh, I I found something they actually like to talk about. Do you stay on that subject?
1: I would okay. I would stay on it as long and keep asking questions in those categories. I have friends that love to talk about their social lives and other friends who love it when I ask them about their morning rituals and I just take note of what kinds of things, you know, people like to talk about which involves listening and I didn't realize what a bad listener I was and probably the best thing I learned in writing this book was how to listen and I learned this you're listening for people's core values and what they enjoy talking about. And I've put this into practice so many times, just listening as people talk, you can tell what they value, you know, like whether or not you're talking with a colleague who's sharing about a work project where she didn't think she did her best work and you just say to her, hey, I can really tell you value excellence. She'll say, I do, I really do. And she's gonna feel connected to you because you called out a value in her. So that's what I'm working on right now. Whether or not it's adventure or efficiency or people who really value their schedule, like I'm learning to notice what people are saying and then saying to them, hey, I can tell you really value. And that's kind of a game changer in conversation.
0: Hmm. Even just using the word value is probably a very strong affirming word for people. They probably don't hear that very often.
1: No, and children love it too. I said it to my daughter the other day and she was like, let's keep walking. Like she wanted to just keep hanging out because I said, hey, I noticed you really value, you know, this thing. And so, yeah, it's a great trick and a great way to feel close to someone.
0: Not to mention people feel loved and feel noticed yes. and feel cared for. And
1: yes. isn't
0: that kind of the foundation that uh, creates intimacy and memories and yes. places where you go, I trust this person.
1: Yes. It's called closeness enhancing behaviors and actually memory reminding someone of a memory you had together. Like when you mentioned the surgery, it reminded me, I think I shared that on a program with you, didn't I? Yeah. Okay. Well then that is a closeness enhancing behavior. Other closeness enhancing behaviors include expressing liking. So don't be afraid to tell your conversation partner this. I really like talking to you. I really like being with you. So when you say that, it is called a closeness enhancing behavior, but a lot of people aren't good at expressing liking. So sometimes I'll have my students, you know, turn to the person beside you and say one thing you like about them, you know, and just see how that feels to have someone say that to you.
0: Again, it takes, it takes a risk. And yes, I think fewer people are comfortable taking risks. We've almost transitioned to everything happens with a text message or an email or something where we're having less eye to eye conversation. So this is important.
1: Well, it's, it's really a mental and physical health crisis right now. I mean, I read a study to my students that people who are lonely have worse immune systems, their cholesterol levels no. are higher. It's terrible. People yeah. are falling apart. We need better conversations for our mental, spiritual, and physical health.
0: Yeah. So you now are on your way to a, a little celebration for your birthday with some yes, friends. Yes, I turned
1: 47, and some of my favorite conversational partners are at this meal. It's three couples who just ask the best questions. The last time we did this, we talked about nostalgia and what we loved about our childhood homes. and We just had the best conversation. That is
0: so interesting. Well, have a great time tonight out for uh, dinner with your friends and happy birthday. And thanks for doing the show.
1: Oh, this is wonderful. I hope I get to come back on again because you're so fun to talk to. Oh, thanks,
0: Heather. Have a great night.
1: Thank you. Okay, All
0: bye. right, bye-bye. Dr. Heather Holloman has been my guest. Her book, again, is called The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. We have five copies of the book. If you want to get in on the drawing to win one, it's a great book. You can text the word BOOK, just those four letters, no quotations, no emojis, nothing. Just the word BOOK to 877- Again, 877-933-2484. And if you have not gotten the Faith Radio app, I encourage you to do it. Get it on your phone or your iPad. Check it out. If you don't like it, you can get rid of it. But try it out because it's great. We have a lot of great um, uh, things to learn about Faith Radio, whether you go to the website or the app. So we'll take a break and be right back with Hour 2. Podcasts like mine are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now.